Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, June 19th. It's Aboriginal Awareness Week, a chance to learn about the culture and continue the journey towards reconciliation. We catch up with Indigenous advocate and founder of Coloring It Forward, Diana Frost, for details on the many events happening in and around Calgary this week. Next, what sort of an impact will the Event Centre project have on existing local restaurants and pubs in the city's Beltline and downtown core? We get the thoughts of Ernie Sue, owner of Trolley 5 Brewery and president of the Alberta Hospitality Association. And finally, changes made with medical laboratory services in the province have been less than smooth. We catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski for details on the change and what can be done to remedy the issues, which include wait times for blood work over six weeks in some cases. Today marks the start of Aboriginal Awareness Week in Calgary. And joining us to talk about the importance of this week and how you and your family can get involved, perhaps get a little more understanding, joining us is Diana Frost, founder of Coloring It Forward. Good morning, Diana. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Can you just start off by explaining a little bit about Coloring It Forward? What What is the work that your organization does? Uh, so my organization is a it's an indigenous social enterprise, and what we do is we work with uh, artists and elders uh, to try and uh, help people to learn about the beauty of uh, the beauty and wisdom of indigenous culture. Let's break this down, Diana, because as Sue mentioned, this week does uh, today kicks off the Aboriginal Awareness Week here in the city. How is coloring it forward recognizing this week? Do you have do you have anything special planned? Well, um, I'm volunteering with uh, the Aboriginal Awareness Week uh, Calgary Committee as their uh, communications uh, person. And uh, so I am helping them to organize uh, the, uh, the AAWC Family Day Festival and powwow on June 24th. June 24th. Okay, still some chance uh, to get involved with that. Uh, what about for those folks not in the community? Uh, can anybody take part in these uh, different, you know, uh, things happening around the city to recognize? Oh, definitely. Uh, so AAWC does have a, a listing of events. We, uh, we uh, agree to cross-promote other people's events as well as our own on our website. Uh, you can find it at aawc.ca. Um, Coloring It Forward also does that on its not-for-profit website, cifrs.ca. And uh, we, uh, we invite people to, uh, to really come out and, uh, and celebrate with us and, and uh, you know, have a chance to experience some Indigenous arts and Indigenous culture, talk to an elder, learn a bit about some, some teachings and, and, uh, and just, you know, have a good time, have conversations and that's how we're going to get to uh, reconciliation is having having those conversations, having some fun together, celebrating our culture together. That's what I was going to ask you. You know, Diana, when you talk about the traditional powwow, is having folks who are not part of the community come and see what you do so that so people can understand. We're, we all have dif- different traditions and we should be accepting of all of them and, and understanding them. And, and you're right, that, that I feel like you're, you're correct, is the only way we can move towards reconciliation is to kind of get everybody on the same page here right yes absolutely this is indigenous culture is our culture it's when i say our i'm talking as a canadian so we we should all have a chance to enjoy it and to appreciate it and to share in it together 
And if I can come out to a powwow and watch the dancing, and there are some dances that are that we invite the public to come and share in. They're called round dances, and it's great fun. You get up and you, you know, dance with with the community, and uh, and there's lots of other things you can do at the powwow. Uh, we have a hand games tournament happening, which is hilarious. People are always laughing, and and you know it's it's their games, and so it's meant to be for fun. Mm-hmm. And then the, we've also got some booths set up to uh, for children to experience some traditional games. Speaking with Diana Frost, founder of Coloring It Forward, and uh, Diana, it's it's fine to have a day or a week like Aboriginal Awareness Week. Uh, you know that that's great. But I'm wondering, aside from trying to to educate and uh, bring a reconciliation to the forefront, in your years of being part of the community, in your time with Coloring It Forward, would you say through your uh, through your lens that we have made strides when it comes to reconciliation? Have you seen an improvement? Yes, I do. I do think that, uh, um, you know, people are becoming more aware and more uh, um, sensitive, more uh, inclusive um, to to Indigenous people and Indigenous culture. And I just hope that that continues and that people, you know, embrace our Indigenous people and our Indigenous culture um, going forward. Diana, coloringitforward.com, the website for your organization. Can you give us, what again, was that uh, website you, you gave earlier for people to get more information uh, about Aboriginal Awareness Week and National Indigenous Peoples Day, June 21st? Uh, so we have a, a listing of events on our sister organization. It's cifrs.ca. And you can just look up under events in the menu and you'll find a listing of all, all the events that we know of that are happening in the area. Perfect. And I love that you are making this family friendly. I think getting kids on board and starting early to understand is, is how we're going to ca- take even greater steps forward as well. So thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Oh, we should probably also mention where it is and what time it's at. That we should. And also that there's free food. So we are doing a free pancake breakfast at 9.30 a.m. Uh, courtesy of the Rotary Club. And they're also offering a barbecue at, I believe it's at 1 o'clock. And uh, so it goes from 9 until 6. And we are at NMAX Park, which is the Stampede uh, Grounds, where the, uh, for people who've been to Stampede, it's where the New Indian Village is. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be seeing you then. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you so much. That is Diana Frost, founder of Coloring It Forward. And again, more about her direct organization, coloringitforward.com. What impact will the new event center have on Calgary's hospitality industry? Joining us to discuss is Ernie Sue, owner of Trolley 5 Brewery and president of the Alberta Hospitality Association. Good morning to you and welcome back to the program, Ernie. Good morning. I hope you guys are having a great morning. Yeah, we are. Absolutely. And uh, you know what? Uh, we're hoping you have a good, had, had a good season so far. I know we're still a couple of days away from spring. A very busy season for the entertainment and hospitality industry, particularly where you're located. Let's talk about moving ahead, though, past the summer. The event center and the Rivers District, we've heard a lot about them. What sorts of an impact are you hoping that this uh, project will have on uh, you and your association? Well, the the event center in the Rivers District is, you know, and, you know, we just saw the Calgary Hotel Association release a letter as well. I mean, it's it's huge for bringing more jobs to the 
to the city. Um, over 50% of Calgary's revenues come from commercial property tax. So, um, you know, there'll be great impact there as well. Okay, so let's talk about the letter penned from the Calgary hospitality industry calling for certainty on the future of the event centre. Why did you feel the need to speak up and really and actually put it on paper? Well, it was, it was a number of restaurants, over 60 restaurants that, that were signed on to that. Uh, it's not from our, our hospitality association, but it is with restaurants that are paired up with the hotel association. Uh, it's it's important. It's it's important to bringing more jobs and driving the economy, as well as just bringing back that vibrancy. And more importantly, um, with almost every single city councillor that ran in the last election, that was a key piece of their platform was uh, the event center to make the to make the city of Calgary a world class city. So more and more, at first when we'd heard about this, we, we thought that there might be some trepidation from folks like yourself, Ernie, and, and your organization in that if your restaurant or your establishment is not actually in the event center or Rivers District, that, oh, you'd, you'd be missing out. But uh, I guess we cannot underscore the, I guess you'd say, business shrapnel that would be had in, in the blocks following it and surrounding those areas. Well, yeah, and you can't, it, 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 we, we also have to identify to the, you know, if we just call a spade a spade, we go straight to the Flames organization and the CSSC. You know, you're looking at over $55 million donated into our local charities. So um, the local charities that have also been struggling coming out of the pandemic, uh, it's, you know, it's it's very evident if you speak to them. It's, it's always been restaurants, bars, pubs, lounges that support those charities. So um, to have the event center, to have the Flames locked in, um, you know, just creates that vibrancy that that is much needed downtown. I mean, the pandemic was a crushing blow to the Calgary Hotel Association, to all of the restaurants and anything and everything where we welcome people in. So is that sort of the key here is that we need really still some help? You guys need some help coming out of that and the impact, the economic impact from an entertainment oh, complex would be massive. Yeah, absolutely. The, the loans are all, are the, all the loans from the pandemic are coming up. Um, you know, our, our rural restaurants are really, really taking a huge hit. Um, you know, affordable housing has been a, a large issue too that we've been trying to work with in city centers. You know, the Banff Valley area, there is no staffing areas. So, um, you know, we're hoping that that can come around as well. Stampede, we were talking about it earlier this morning and actually a chance to give away some tickets in the next uh, seven, eight minutes here to the evening show. Uh, but uh, 11 days left in this month, 18 days away now, 7th of, of July. What are you hearing from your partners in the restaurant and hotel industry uh, as far as the anticipation of what this year's show will bring to the community? Oh, this day, it looks like to be another amazing stampede coming up this year. Um, you know, we're talking to the hotel association, it looks like, you know, everything downtown is getting you know, booked up pretty quick, as well as all the great all the great music shows that are coming to town as well. Well, it's important. I think the, the letter, the the letter that you've done jointly and put forward, it says a lot, and it says, you know, hopefully that. It will get some certainty moving forward that this is the event center is going to happen and how necessary it is for everything that happens in our city. So, you know, I guess, is there anything else that Calgarians can do on top of the letter that was sent uh, on behalf of the Hotel Association and your organization? Well, I think there's always going to be disagreements on, on, on this event center, but bottom line is I don't think we're in the situation we're in without having the event center to now have to be completely recoded all over again. Um, the original deal was done. It got 
squashed at one point um, during the winter season there. And then now it's, it has to be a requote. It's like building a house. You can't keep coming back and having the house requoted three or four times. So, you know, uh, hopefully that this just gets moving forward and, um, you know, it's, it stops costing the taxpayers more money. Ernie, before we let you go, we are marking 10 years since the flood of 2013. I want to ask you, you know, from your perspective as a business owner, 10 years ago, the impact that that left on you and, and uh, to a large extent, the industry. Oh, the flood. The flood was terrible, especially for all the uh, Beltline um, Mission restaurants. Uh, you know, we were actually just talking about an amazing restaurant, Candela, that used to be on, um, you know, right in the heart of Mission there. And once that flood hit, after the flood, it just never never came back. But, um, you know, the flood, the pandemic, restaurateurs are resilient. Um, and they'll just keep, you know, they'll just keep pivoting and, and working through the next, uh, you know, the next three years to get out of the last two. Ernie, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, you know, we'll be remembering and thinking about the flood and, and the devastation that it caused uh, throughout the entire city and beyond. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, moving forward, let's hope that, that, uh, that uh, the event centre gets going and, and, it, and it brings a lot of life back to the city and, and all the uh, industries that are revolving around it. Yeah, a vibrant city. That's a vibrant, world-class city, and that's, that's where we need to be. You know it. Thanks so much, Ernie. Have a great day. Cheers. Ernie Sue, owner of Trolley 5 Brewery and president of the Alberta Hospitality Association. I just love how, you know, we can speak to somebody who has so much experience, you know, from the yeah, floods yeah. to COVID. He is, as you heard, like super excited about this year's Stampede, excited mm-hmm. about the district. And you can't help but think, yeah, that, that's what it gets down to is not thinking of the entertainment in the Rivers District as, as competition. But more people into that core, yes. where where 17th Avenue, where Ernie has his business. He mentioned that Candela on 4th. We've got, if you think about it. It's not like many many cities where you go, this is the place to go. No, we've, we've got 4th Street. We've got 17th Avenue. We've got Kensington. We've got Inglewood. I mean, we've got so many different, uh, you know, areas that if, if one's too busy or not too like, can go to the other one. Like, this is fantastic. Yeah, and I think that's the point, right, is that you're right. So many great areas, so many great things to do. And really, they all kind of work together because... The, we're all in, we are literally in this together, and we want the city to come back bigger and stronger than ever before. Things have happened, the COVID, the flood, all of that. We need to move forward, and we need to make this a big, bold city where people want to yes. come time after time after time. And if you think, like, even as basic as, you know, if me and my wife want to go out for something to eat, I mean, there's an impact if we don't have choices. But not just that. The owners of those businesses, the employees, mm-hmm. the vendors. I mean, there's so many, probably your, your friends and neighbors are connected to the entertainment and hospitality industry in some some, Absolutely. some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So we need that industry to, to, to certainly do good, and whatever we can do to lend a hand, it would be huge. All right, let's get right to it here. Uh, Mondays, we love to catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski, and this is an interesting topic that we've seen a lot of scuttlebutt online about. Yeah, long wait times for test appointments and other complaints have made their way to the Premier's office, and now Danielle Smith is hinting at looking at potential changes to the current setup of lab services in the province. Joining us to discuss is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Okay, we'll we'll take it back a few steps if we can, Dr. J. Uh, Start, if you could, by explaining the changes that were made to lab services with the switch between community-operated Alberta Precision Laboratories to the private DynaLife. I don't know that I know the answer to that question. (laughs) I think this was uh, an attempt to try to get a service that was probably cheaper, 
and potentially more efficient than the, the service that we had. Calgary Labs services became Alberta Precision Labs, became now DynaLife, which is a privatized company, which was hired by the government to take on this contract. So what exactly are the issues that people have been experiencing that we're hearing all the uproar about? Boy, do we have an hour or so? <laughs> uh, so this is a long list. I'm a pretty positive guy, and I try to always take the higher ground if I can. But I'm telling you, DynaLife has really been challenging to both patients as well as physicians. So patients have, have struggled to get bookings, appointments. Uh, if they can't get an appointment, they go walk-in, and walk-in can be two- to three-hour waits, uh, where it used to be an hour, hour and a half. Um, you know, booking out used to be maybe two, three, four weeks. Now we're lucky if it's six weeks or eight weeks, so much, much longer. From a physician level, a lot of missed data. So I order tests and I get eight of the ten things I order. Two things are missing, and this is happening consistently over and over. The reporting is much, much slower, so there's things I would rely on coming in in 24 or 48 hours, crucial pieces of data, now we're taking 72 hours or longer. This is not good. So it's really, really tough to take the higher ground on this when we see such inefficiencies and such a struggle. And, and uh, the, the issue is not just convenience and it's nice to get things done quickly. Uh, this is potentially dangerous to patients if they can't get data or if there's missed pieces of data. We're always told if it's not broken, don't fix it. Obviously, this change perhaps uh, pushed forward to, to save some bucks. So, so literally, is this as, as simple as getting back the previous groups that have done this type of work for us in the province? Or uh, well, how think, can they tinker? Yeah, I don't know. But I think one of the uh, things that the government is looking at is having uh, Alberta Precision Labs perhaps helping as a consultant uh, for DynaLife. If, if they're getting it wrong or they can't keep up, what are they doing that's wrong and can they do it better? Uh, I'm sure there's ways of making things much, much more efficient but they need to get on it ASAP or lose their contract and bring somebody in who can do the job. Calgary is a very, very busy city, uh, and uh, perhaps other places, DynaLife's been able to manage the volume, but they're sure as heck not managing it here uh, locally. And Dr. Jay, the Premier on the weekend said that, you know, if DynaLife doesn't meet expectations, that you know they will do something about it, they being the province. So was this sort of done really... It, was it all about money in this sense? Because this this is just a, an outsourcing of a publicly operated community laboratory service, right? And then and they appear at this point to have picked the wrong outsourcing company. Uh, I, I think that's exactly correct. It was, I think it was all 100% about money. And I think you're exactly right. Perhaps another company would have done it wrong or perhaps DynaLife can do it right but they're just not in the position to do it right now, whether it be their technology or their systems, but but it's just not not working. Uh, and yeah, they might have outsourced the wrong, <laughs> the wrong company uh, and saved some money doing so, but really putting the, uh, the lives of, of our poor patients in jeopardy here. You mentioned the booking, uh, the booking system now could be up to six, maybe even eight weeks. Uh, and that before it was maybe two to three weeks. What is ideal, Dr. J? Because I know to me it even seems like it's, if, if, you've, if you've got something that needs to be checked mm. out in your mind, if your thoughts are racing, you want some resolution, how long should we be waiting, waiting to book a blood test, do you think? So I guess it's, it's two parts. So if I do a medical exam, and this is elective blood work, I want to see somebody's sugar and cholesterol, et cetera, I think waiting 
you know, up to a month to get a booking is is not that unreasonable. But there are places where we need data today, tomorrow. We need the ability for patients to book in at the last moment, get in and get things done. And we can put that right on the lab rack. So it's, it's easy from our end to say, this one's elective, you know, book it whenever versus this one I need right away. For stat lab, I want that to be done 24 to 48 hours, end of story. Wow. Uh, and there really should be no exception. We don't order that often. Uh, we don't abuse that as physicians, but I think we need the access or ability of our patients to get in and get that done very quickly and not the notion that, well, you know, you can walk in anywhere and the wait could be three hours or more and you may get in or you may not get in or uh, that is just not ideal at all. We'll continue following this. Thanks for your input on it, Dr. J. We'll talk to you about it again very soon, I'm sure. Thank you. You betcha. Dr. Chad Jablonski is our on-call family physician.